If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1, very famous text of Scripture. Genesis 1, we're going to look at verse 26 to 28 tonight. So this probably is on the first or second page of your Bible, so it should be pretty easy to find. Uh, but let's hear tonight uh, what God has to say to us in his word. Let's hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. I was having a conversation with uh, one of our church members not long ago, and, and he was telling me how passionate he was about ministry in the workplace. And he was saying, we, we need to focus on this. We need to focus on, on our people doing ministry in the workplace, on, on doing ministry in the workplace. That's where we spend a lot of our time. And it was a real passion of his. And, um, and then he said to me, you know, the church needs to do something about this. And I, I put my uh, hand on his shoulder and I looked at him and I said, we've got our best guy on it. And of course I was implying him. I was saying, you know, you're in the workplace. <laughs> you're doing ministry. This is what the church does. Now I was saying that a little bit tongue in cheek. Of course I take very seriously the, the calling that I have to try to equip you, the members of the church, for the work of the ministry. It's one of the reasons that we have a, a Center for Faith and Work, John Posey, our advisor for Faith and Work, who's certainly available to any member at any time to, to give counsel about exactly that issue. What, is, what does faith look like in the workplace? But that little interaction that I had with this guy is very illustrative of how we misunderstand what the church is. You know, the church is not primarily an event. Now, the church has events. This, this is a, an event of the church. This is a worship gathering. It's incredibly important. It's an incredibly beautiful and precious thing. It's a very important part of your life. But I think a lot of people just think, well, the church is this event that I go to. Or the church is some organization, right? The, the church is the staff and, you know, Jason and his staff. That's what the, the church is, those people, right? The church needs to do something about this, right? Well, you know, again, churches have staffs and, and organization, and that's important, and that helps us to function properly as a body. But the church, the church, of course, is the people of God. The members of this church are the, this church. The members of God that have been called out by the gospel, called together to be covenant people, and who scatter to be kingdom ambassadors. In about 45 minutes or so, the most amazing thing's gonna happen. The church gathered is going to become the church scattered. And you guys are gonna scatter all over this city and do amazing things. You know, I, I, when I said to this guy, we got our best guy on it, I meant it. You know, he's out there. He is the church. And how incredible is that? 
that a representative of God, someone called out by God to represent him, to bring glory to his name. You know, we, we bring glory to God when we gather. We certainly do. But this is only part of how we bring glory to God. We, we bring glory to God when we scatter as well. And so this representative of God, he's out there in the workplace. And here's the thing. You know, our church, we've got, we've got people in all sorts of fields. We've got people in medicine. We've got people in healthcare. We've got people in accounting. We've got people in uh, construction. Uh, we've got people in banking. We, we've got people in fast food. We've got people in slow food. We've got people in whatever industry there is in Atlanta. Our, our little church has people engaged in those areas, representing God there. And, and we don't just have people working in different places. We have people living in all these different communities. We, we have people living in Buckhead and in Vinings and in Smyrna and in Dunwoody and in Sandy Springs and in Midtown and in the West Atlanta doing all of these things, you know, doing all of these things that, that really impact the world. And when they're there, they go to gyms, they go to coffee shops, they go to restaurants. <laughs> they have incredible impact over the culture that they are placed in. And they don't just live in those places and go to restaurants in those places. They're, they're fathers, they're mothers. Imagine the impact you can have as a father and a mother. And imagine the impact you can have as a friend. And, and our people are out there, they're telling stories. They're, they're, they're doing research. And we got a lot of students here. You know, we had a tech student that came up to me and I met them this morning. They, they weren't necessarily responding to the sermon, but they, I said, what do you do? And the guy was like, I do research on the risk of flying cars. And I was like, this is an important guy, you know? <laughs> if, if we're gonna get flying cars someday, you know, I wanna read this report. I mean, anyway, you, you guys are doing incredible things. You're telling stories, you know? Our church is doing all of this. Our church is doing this. Our church is spending money. I mean, you guys have an amazing financial impact on our city. I mean, I was, I was kind of doing the math. I don't know this data, but, you know, I was thinking the collective spending power of our church. I mean, our church probably spends over $100 million every year in Atlanta or invest. I mean, that's an amazing thing to think about. The point I'm trying to make is you're the church. You're the people of God called out by God who both gather, and, and the gathering is so precious and important, but who scatter. And when you scatter, you scatter to have amazing and important cultural impact. You are shaping the culture. <laughs> You're making the culture. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, and that's exactly what we see in tonight's text. We've been called to be culture makers, and over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about different areas where we have these specific calls of culture that, that, that the Bible actually instructs us in a great deal about. Uh, we've been called to be culture makers in our home and in our community and in our workplace, and we could just go on and on with this list, but we got to move on to the next thing. But I want to talk about that with you tonight and give you a few categories. We're calling this sermon a vision for culture making. We've been talking about the who of culture making, but I've got, as you see, you know, I got six points tonight. Wow, how are we going to get there? But just bear with me. I, I want to talk now just a little bit about the what. <laughs> what are we talking about when we talk about shaping culture? I think it's a good question. Is what is culture? And of course, culture is a massive idea. I don't know if you took an anthropology class 
when you were in school. And of course, if you looked up the word culture in the dictionary, it would say something like the, the language, the religions, the institutions, the customs, traditions, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, of a particular group of people, right? But, but I want to just simplify the idea of culture. Culture, to make culture, culture is what is cultivated. <laughs> it's that which is cultivated, right? And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about culture kind of in opposition to the, the idea of nature, right? So if nature is that which is created, that which is natural, culture is that which human beings have come along and cultivated, shaped, put form to, right? And, and, and we actually see this command to, to do this in this passage. And that leads us to our second, or our third question rather, is why? Why do we make culture? Why, and why do we like it so much? I think that's a, why, why do we get a kick out of this? You know, when you really do something creative, when you really do something good, you, you like it. You, you, there's a sense of satisfaction in it. And, and, and there's a reason for that. The, the text that we read tonight, again, very famous text, it, it comes at a very dramatic place in scripture. Of course, God has just created the whole world. And if you remember the, the account of God's creation, the beginning of the Bible, the very first of the Bible, it's probably in the same page, just look a few verses up. Of course, we read, in the beginning, right? In the beginning, in, in the, before there was anything, God existed and he created. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, verse two is very interesting. I don't know if you're, you know, we know verse one, right? I would say, you know, you got John 3.16 and Genesis 1.1 are two verses that a lot of Christians have memorized, right? But, but what about um, verse two? It, it, it says, the earth was without form. The earth was formless. It was disordered. It was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And we don't have time to go through it tonight. But what does God do? What is the rest of Genesis 1? It's this beautiful account of God shaping, cultivating, forming, ordering all of creation. This, this void, this formless creation that he had made, he comes in and he gives it shape. He orders it. He cultivates it. And at the end of each day of creation, it's a very, very beautiful passage of scripture. At the end of each day of creation, God steps back. It says, God steps back, considers what he had made, and behold, it was good. Behold, it was good. Now here, in Genesis 1, 26, this is very important. Here's God, this Trinitarian, three-person God, has just ordered all of creation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working together in concert to bring order, to bring beauty, to, to bring flourishing to his creation. What does he say? He says, let us, so God, he's three-person God, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, and I want to talk about this word here in a little bit, have dominion. Let them do the same thing. God has given us the same call to cultivate, to bring about beauty, to bring about flourishing in his creation. It is the basic call of every human life to cultivate, to make, to make culture. This is why, you ever, you ever have like a really great day of work, you go to work and you really accomplish it, you know, you get it done. You know, you, you at least knock off 70% of your list you know, you, you, you really feel like, man, I really accomplished things today. I saw some progress. We, we had a few days like that this week. 
around the office. Like, okay, I got home and Paige was like, how was it? I was like, you know what? We made some progress today. We really did some things. And you know, you know what I'm talking about? Or you have a great day. We got a bunch of tech students here. You, you really have a great, you do well on that test, right? You, you, you achieve something, you, you finish something. You know what I'm talking about? A day like work and you, you, you're satisfied. You look back, you say, man, that was good. That was a good day. The reason that's so satisfying to you and to me is because you are made in the image of God. You are like God. When you step back and look at a completed day's work, you're doing the same thing that God does at the end of his day's work. It was good. It was right. It was cultivated correctly. I've made something, I've left something beautiful behind. And, And again, it's not just work, right? You know, if you throw a neighborhood party, if you cultivate something, in, if you cultivate community, I love doing this. I love, you know, putting people together and seeing them tell stories and them have fun together. Oh, it's, you look at that and you say, yes, this is good. And, you know, anything you're trying to cultivate, you know, I'm in the, one of my biggest cultivation challenges right now is raising kids. And it's so hard, right? You always feel like you're a failure. And that's the thing about parenting. If you... You just sign up for this task you always feel bad at. But anyway, I, um, I'm trying to raise my kids and trying to raise them to love the Lord. I always feel like I'm failing at this. And, um, but a few weeks ago, you know, my, my daughter and I, we share the same birthday. And so we, all, we went to dinner this night, the whole family. I was going around the table. And I was like, you know, what, what's, what's something you want to focus on this year? And we were around the table. And I come to my son, my nine-year-old, John Kellis, who, you know, I kind of worry about him, okay? <laughs> And, uh, and John Kellis, he's about to be 10. He'll be 10 here in a couple weeks. And, and I said, John Kellis, what do you want to focus on this year? And he says, you know what? When I'm 10, I really want to focus on my faith. And man, when he said that, I was like, I've done something. Like, I, you know, it was this great feeling. It was like, okay, I, it's not all for, it's not all at waste. I'm, I'm actually cultivating, there's fruit that's being born here. When you have that feeling, and you know the feeling. You're being like God who looked at what he made and said, it is good, it is right, it's beautiful. That's why culture making is what we do, what we're called to do, and it's why it's so important to us. It's why it makes us feel so good. But the next question becomes very important. It's the how of culture making. How do you do it? And I have three sub points here that I think are very important, and we see these in the text. Dominion, partnership, and multiplication. I wanna look at dominion. Now that's kind of a, Interesting word. We see it in the text, of course. Let's go back to the screen here. It says, let them, let them have dominion. Okay, now that's a, it's an interesting word. I want to I spend a little time thinking about it. I, I looked at it down here also in verse 28. God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The interplay of this word, subdue and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This idea of dominion, there's actually a, 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 there's actually a good bit written about this word. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the Hebrew radah. And it's, it's, yeah, we see it up here. It's rule from peace, right? And so the, it does have, it's a very strong word. It has this sense of rule, take dominion, take order, take, you know, uh, step into the responsibility, I think you could say. God is giving you a responsibility God is giving you a charge. Take dominion. Take responsibility. Be a culture maker, right? I think that's important for us to hear. So often when I hear from particularly Christians about the culture, they talk about the culture, (laughs) 
the culture. It's so bad. It's so, it's coming to get us. It's, it's doing all this stuff. But they talk about the culture as if it's something that exists out there. No, you are a culture maker, right? You are a part of the culture. You are called to take dominion. There was a guy in our church this morning that might like affect how we drive in 10 years or how we fly in 10 years or whatever it's called when there's driving. If, if we're not a part of the culture, right? Then I don't know who is. No, you, you are out there cultivating. And, 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 and what the text is saying here is that there's a way to cultivate that is obedient to God, that pleases God. We shouldn't be passive in this. We have to be active in this. We have to take dominion. You know, it's interesting. On one side, I think our temptation is to abdicate, right? <laughs> to just say, you know, to be lazy, to not be intentional, right? To not take responsibility for the, the things that God has called us to cultivate. And again, there, he's, he's called us to cultivate all of these areas of our lives. But on the other side, I think there's a temptation, and this is where the other word is important here, to dominate in this kind of competitive, conflicting kind of way. So there's a lot written about Ridah, which is this rule or cultivate or take responsibility from Genesis 1, pre-sin, and the word mashal, which is to rule, dominate, take dominion post-sin. We find this in Genesis 3 when it's talking about the conflict between the man and the woman. Mashal, he will rule over you. There will be a competition. There will be a battle. There will be a fight, All right? So I think a lot of times we, we take our responsibilities, we go into culture and say, I'm, I'm at war with culture, right? No, no, Radah, a right rule over the stewardships that God has given you to, to do what God does, to create, to craft, to form in a way that brings about flourishing for all who are around you. That's the way we are to create culture. Again, not to create culture for our own name's sake, but to create culture in a way that brings about human flourishing, that brings about the good of others. You know, Galatians 5 came to mind as I was thinking about this. Um, it's a little bit unrelated, but I, I think this is how we are to receive the privileges that God gives us. It says, you are called to freedom. This is talking about the freedom that we have in the spirit. You are called to freedom, but don't use your freedom. Don't use the privileges that God has given you or the responsibilities God's given you as an opportunity for your flesh to serve yourself. But through love, serve one another. And of course, this leads to the second part of how do we make culture? And that is this idea of partnership. You know, Andy Crouch wrote this great little book, um, and I had copies to give out tonight, but the nine o'clock people basically took all of them. There was one left for the 11 o'clock people, and I got nothing for the five, but I'm going to bring more next week. Um, but thank you guys. I'm going you know, to bring, I'm going to start keeping a, a five o'clock stash just hidden in my office so those morning church people can't get to them. But anyway, um, he wrote this great little book called Culture Making. And um, he has this great little line. He says, one of the most mysterious and beautiful things about culture is that it has to be shared. And that too is created by God. God has made us to be relational beings in our culture making. Now, why do you think God did that? Well, the reason he did, again, is that we are made in the image of God. God himself 
is a relational being. God exists. You gotta, if you don't get the Trinity right, you'll get nothing right. right. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, first person, second person, third person of the Trinity. God himself, God exists in relationship. And this three-person being works together to form, to create, to make the whole world, to cultivate. And when we think about God, what we see throughout Scripture to be true of the Godhead is that each person of the Trinity is distinct, right? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. They're distinct persons. But at the same time, they're equal, right? The Son is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. Distinction and equality. And then what did God do? Well, we see what God did. Let's go back to our text here. Verse 27. God created man, right? This humanness, this humanity, in his own image, and then what did he do? What did God do? In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is really incredible if you think about it. This Trinitarian three-person God, distinct yet equal beings, making up the Godhead, created human beings in the same kind of way that we would be distinct yet equal beings. Now, I just want you to hear this. There's always a temptation against this. On one side, people will say, men and women are not equal, right? One gender is greater than the other, right? It'll push against the equality. But on the other side, there will be people that will push against the distinction and try to tear down the walls that are distinct of what is masculinity and what is femininity. I want you to hear this. Both errors to push against the equality of humanity or to push against the distinction of femininity and masculinity. Both errors are an offense to humanity as a created order, as a created being, and they're an offense to God, who we are made in his image. And when we fail, right, when we fail to understand distinction and equality, we will never work together in partnership to bring about radah, this kind of peaceable cultivation. Cultivation. We will always tend toward the Genesis 3, Mashal. We'll be fighting and warring against each other in this disruptive kind of rule. Culture making at its best is when we have this right understanding of dominion and a right understanding of partnership. And that leads to the third thing that we see in the text, and that's multiplication. You know, one of the ways that Adam and Eve were going to fill the world, right? We're going to cultivate the world was to have children. God says this, be fruitful, multiply. They're, they're, in a very real sense, God's design was that the whole world, by the cultivation of humanity, would become Eden. I think that's a great way to think about it. The, the man and the woman were in the garden to work it, to tend it. And he says, be fruitful, have children, fill the earth. The offspring was to do what? They were to spread out over the face of the earth and bring about a kind of cultivation in all parts and in all ways throughout the world. That's God's plan. That's God's design. And it should be the same plan for us too. You know, I'm not only called to be a culture maker, I'm called to be a cultivator of culture makers, right? I have to have a long view of culture making. I'm, I'm trying to raise a household that would continue on in this God-honoring call of cultivation, this God-honoring call of culture making. And you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. What about me? Well, you know, in, in Christianity, 
we actually understand ourselves to not just be, of course, biological beings, but also spiritual beings. And spiritually, you as a Christian, as a mature, as a Christian, you have sisters, you have brothers, you have children in the faith, people that you are cultivating, people that you are stirring along towards spiritual maturity. So we see dominion, we see partnership, we see multiplication. It's very important to understand uh, as we understand the how of culture making, but what about the where? Well, it's interesting, you know, as we see here in the end of the passage, basically this, we're, we're called to cultivate the whole of creation over every living thing that moves on the earth, over the heavens and over the earth, in all places, in, and I would say in all sorts of settings, God has called us to be cultivators. And, and I want you to spend some time thinking deeply about this and how this relates to your life. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna be talking about home, community, and work. But really, we, we could talk about health. <laughs> what kind of diet are you cultivating? We talk about money. What are you cultivating with how you use the money that God has entrusted to you? How are you, how are you creating a culture around you? And so we think about the home, you know, I mean, in our home, what kind of home are you cultivating? This is actually the culture area, the place of culture we have the most control over, right? I think a lot of people think about their contributions out there. I want to be a great writer. I want to be a great business person or whatever it is. No, the, the, actually the culture that you have the most control over and to have the deepest impact over is the, the culture that you're creating in your own home. And so it matters what kind of meals you make, what kind of conversations you have, what kind of places you go. You're cultivating something. What, what traditions you celebrate, what TV you watch. Are you being intentional about that? I mean, that's really the question. Are you, are you taking dominion? Or are you just kind of letting... <laughs> You know, it's interesting about the home. It can be the place where we're the least intentional because we're tired, you know? We go out there and we're incredibly intentional and then we get home and we just, we just receive whatever culture comes at us. And it's actually one of the, the greatest callings of, of cultivation, of taking dominion, should be in your very household. And, and I would say this, even if you're a single, you know, even if you're, you know, you are creating rhythms and establishing patterns of having a God-honoring household even now. Our communities, God has placed you in various communities. Are you taking dominion in those communities? Are you helping to shape those communities? You say, what do you mean by that? You know, my community doesn't listen to me. And one of the reasons they don't listen to me is because I'm a Christian, right? They don't like me. I'm a Christian, they don't like what I believe. Here's, here's how you gain influence in your community. You want, you, I want to just tell you this. You, you go into a community and you do something valuable for the community and you will have a voice. They will listen to you, they will respect you. They'll give you a hearing. They'll give you a, an opportunity to speak to the hope that you have. So, you know, if you go to a school, go be on a committee, go serve, go Go coach a baseball team. Go volunteer for something. And go do something valuable in your community. Go cultivate something. And guess what? You'll have influence. You know, you've, some of you have heard me talk about Chick-fil-A before. And you say, well, Chick-fil-A's got a lot of influence. But I want you to hear this. They don't have influence because they're Christians. Right? They have influence because they make a good chicken sandwich. <laughs> and they are Christians. And so people listen to the things that they have to say. The same will be true of you. 
Maybe not in such a macro way, maybe. But, but are you doing things to add value, to bring human flourishing to a community? And guess what? You'll have influence there. And then, of course, with our work. What an enormous opportunity we have to go out and make culture in how we work. You know, the original task, it's, it's interesting to think about. God, who's just created the whole world, he puts the man in the garden and he says, hey, what I just did, you do. Here's seed, here's dirt, here's water, here's sunlight, make the garden grow. And of course, Adam and Eve had to figure that out. And have any, have any of y'all ever like tried gardening? That's kind of hard. I mean, it's, it's not simple. You've got to stay on top of it. You've got to really work it. But really, all work is the same thing. You're, you're taking the raw materials of creation and you're ordering it in this way that brings about something good and profitable. You know, any of you guys work at Home Depot? You know what Home Depot does? Home Depot takes a forest, right? Home Depot starts with a forest, <laughs> And it says, look, we're going to take this forest and we're going to turn all of this into two by fours and plywood and four by sixes. And, and we're going to turn this into this orderly product, this, this, this piece of wood. And then, you know, some other guy comes along and this guy's a home builder. And you know what he does? He goes to Home Depot and he buys the two by fours and he goes and he takes this disorderly, if you will, pieces of lumber and he makes a living room out of it. And he makes an office and he makes a bedroom. And, he, and of course, there's other people involved. There's electricians that can somehow take a waterfall, a dam or whatever your energy comes from. Nuclear energy, how do we do that? Georgia Tech people explain that one to me. They, they take, they take, uh, they take you know, waterfalls and dams and sunlight and natural gas and all of these things and light bulbs come on somehow. Somebody had to figure out how to take the raw material of fossil fuel and make a cargo. All that is represented by, you know, work. It's, it's all somebody taking raw material and ordering it in such a way to bring about human flourishing. And guess what, guys? I want you to hear this. You get to go do that all the time. It's an amazing thing. And there's amazing potential in that. You know, I love the gathered church. I love it. I love what's happening right now. 5 p.m. service, I love you guys. I, I love being here. I love gathering. I love worshiping. I love how we serve one another when we gather. I love that people you know, help people park and people help out with the kids and, and people pass out bulletins. But I, I'm going to say this. I want to take a hit for all pastors here. Okay, On behalf of all pastors, I want to apologize for something. I think that we have focused so much of our attention, and I'm talking about as pastors, we have focused so much, about our, uh, so much of our attention trying to get you guys to see your calling in the gathered church. And again, that's not unimportant. That, we've, that you've missed your calling in the scattered church. You know, we've spent so much time saying, oh, you have the gift of administration. You can help people park in the parking lot. And if you've heard that and been like, huh, I thought God maybe made me more than just a parking lot attendant, but oh well, you know. If you've heard that, uh, you can use your gift and you know, pass out bulletins. And you thought, well, I, I thought I was maybe gonna do more for with my life than that, but okay. If, you, if you've been disappointed by that or you felt like, huh, is that everything? The reason you felt that way is because you're made in the image of God. 
And God has given all of you all these gifts and he's called you to go be a culture maker. And you should want to use your gift of administration to help people park. We certainly need that. But that's only like 30 minutes a week. <laughs> God's given you a lot more time and energy to go make culture in all sorts of places, in your home, in your communities, and with your work. Look, I love what I get to do. I get to coach you guys and encourage y'all. But you guys get to do the interesting stuff. You guys get to do the stuff as long as you stay focused on God in it, as long as you realize that you're doing it for the Lord, you guys get to do this stuff that will really change the world. And that brings me to my final point, which is for whom? For whom do we make culture? You know, all this leads to the danger of culture making. If you think about this story, God had put the man and the woman in the garden, and he says, cultivate it, listen to my voice, obey me, make this culture. And in that, in creating this garden and creating a family and doing all the things that I want you to do and being fruitful and multiply, that's your worship. You're gonna bring glory to me. Just stay focused on me. Just listen to my voice. Just do it. Just keep doing what I want you to do. Just keep doing as I command, and, and I will be glorified in your cultivation. But of course, they failed. They let the serpent come into the garden. They should have kept the serpent out of the garden. But they let the serpent come in. And the serpent basically, what he told the man and the woman is this. You know, you're here listening to God. You can't trust him. You need to be in charge. You, you need to be the one that is wise and good. And they sinned. They disobeyed God. And really from that time to this, we've had that impulse to not trust the way of God, but to trust our own instincts and to to seek our own notoriety and, and fortune. You know, it's interesting, the, the first section of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 11, it's kind of a prolegomena of the scriptures. And it basically tells the story of what happens with sin. This is what happens when man is in charge. And it's bad. And there's kind of a climactic point. It's in Genesis 11. And humanity gets together and they make this big city, and they make the city to have a tower. It's the Tower of Babel, if you've heard this story before. And I think a lot of people have been confused in this story because God judges them. They build the city, they build this tower, which is an incredible achievement in culture making. I mean, they've built a city, they've built a tower. And so I think a lot of people you know, can critique culture making, culture building, and say, well, wait a second, we see God judging it there. It's not, it's not that they're building something. That's not what upsets God. Here's what it is. Let's look at Genesis 11, 4. It says, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And here's the key. And let us make a name for ourselves let us make a name for ourselves. And then this is very key. Lest, um, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, y'all just heard it. What was God's command back in Genesis 1? He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And here they're saying, let us make such a name for ourselves. You, you could say it this way. Let us make such a name for ourselves that we don't have to obey God. That we can just stay together. We don't have to fill the earth. God told us to fill the earth. We don't want to fill the earth. We want to make such a name for ourselves that we don't have to listen to God. And this is the danger of culture making. God has created us and he's called us to cultivate for his namesake, for his glory, to bring glory to him. 
Again, it's not that we don't enjoy it. It's not that we're not satisfied. We, we, we of course, are because we're doing something that reflects God. But the end of culture making is not ourselves, it's God. And, and when you get this, I want you to hear this. When you get that, you can work for the good of others in mind. You can work for the sake of the work and not always have to be notarized for it. Not always have to have people say, wow, you're really special. You're really great. <laughs> when you get that, you can parent because you actually love your kids and you want them to flourish. Not so people will say, wow, he's a good parent. And your kid will call you all the time and say, thanks, mom. I mean, you know, and I'm saying this to parents who want their kids to call them more and thank them. No, you can actually just parent for the sake of your child. You can parent for the sake of God. You can work for the sake of God. You can spend your money, not just on yourselves for your comfort, but for the sake of God, for the flourishing of those around you. Don't you see when you get this, that God created you to cultivate, not for your sake, but for his sake, then and only then can you really do it in a way that brings you joy without you being needy all the time for the approval of others. You know, it's interesting. You ever see someone uh, accept an award, give an award speech, or maybe like it's the end of a football game and they're getting interviewed? Rarely will people say, if, I don't know if I've ever heard this, somebody comes up to get the award and they said, well, I did all this work so you guys would realize how great I am. You know, They always say something like, I did this for my family or I did this to make a contribution, <laughs> even though they actually may have neglected their family the whole time. Like they, they actually may have done all this so that we would see it, how great they were, but they don't say that. <laughs> they know better. Even if we... Even if the ethic of Babel, I want to make a name for myself, still dwells in our hearts, we know we're actually supposed to live for a greater purpose deep down. We, we, know, we're, we know we're supposed to live for something more than ourselves, yet the ethic of Babel still plagues us, doesn't it? We go out there and we cultivate wanting to be recognized, wanting to make a name for ourselves. And the reason I think, the reason I think is rooted in the problem of sin. You know, our sin, our disobedience, God, our first sin has separated us from God. It's separated us from communion with God, the very thing that we were made to have, the thing that we were made to enjoy, the thing that would actually give our souls peace. Sin has left us like an orphan. <laughs> you know, I, I'm reading the uh, Elon Musk biography. Anybody read this? It's, he's a fascinating figure. And like so many of these biographies, he wasn't an orphan, but he had a very hard childhood. Like so many of these biographies, the, 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 the person that's done all these amazing, interesting things, they have this hard childhood. And it's like they spend their whole lives trying to do something to prove, look, I really am special, right? I really am special. I really am special. They spend their whole life trying to make a name for themselves. And, and I think that that impulse in all of us is rooted in the, the separation anxiety that we, we feel from God. And that's why we can rarely rest and have peace and have poise and be satisfied. But I want you to hear tonight that, that what Jesus has come to do is he's come to restore our relationship with God. He's come to bring you back in, to restore your relationship with a loving father in Jesus, we, we can hear these words from the Father. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. 
And it's not because of our righteousness. No, Jesus on our behalf has achieved righteousness. And on our behalf, he was put out. He he went to the cross to pay for our sin and he was punished. And on our behalf, he's, he's overcome sin and death. So in him, through faith in Jesus, we can be restored to God. We can, we can only in him, again, find fellowship with God. And from that place, when you know that you know God, when you know that you are loved and treasured by God, you can go out and make culture, not trying to get some sense of satisfaction, but from a place of satisfaction. And you can go out and make culture actually desiring to serve other people, actually desiring to serve your father, not, not being so needy all the time for recognition, knowing that you have an inheritance from, from the eternal God, knowing that you have this deep love that comes to you from God. Don't you see? And that's what Jesus has done. By his life and by his death and by his resurrection, he calls you back in. He came to this world where everybody wants to make a name for themselves. And you know what, you know what happened to him? He was forsaken. He, he, in a sense, took on a cursed name so that we who should be cursed, who should be separated from God, can be called back into fellowship with him. And if you look to him, and if you believe that, that'll revolutionize your life. It'll revolutionize the way you use the gifts that God's given you. You won't use them for yourself. You'll start using them with God in mind and with others in mind. And if we as a church can live like that, If we can't live like that, I want you to hear this, we'll just be like everybody else, mashal, right? Warring against one another, trying to create the most impressive culture so everybody will look like us, look at us. But if we can live like this, we'll actually be able to go out and order the world in a way that brings about beauty and flourishing. We'll actually be able to carry out God's design for us. Let's consider these things as we pray. Father, I pray that you would give us tonight eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. You give us faith, Lord, that we could behold Jesus tonight in faith and realize that in him, our hearts, our lives can be restored to you, in him that we have hope of life with you forever. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a record of righteousness that is flawless, is complete. And so in him, we have nothing to prove. In him, we can rest. It's not that we're called to be lazy or passive. No, we're we're called to take dominion, but not to take dominion for something, but from something from the place of being known and loved by God to take dominion in a way that actually brings about flourishing for others, that serves others, that brings about glory to God, that brings about order, not in a self-worship, Babel kind of way, but in a God-worshiping, God-honoring kind of way. Father, Father, free us tonight from the ethic of Babel always wanting to make a name for ourselves and help us to truly take dominion and be cultivators for your sake and for the sake of others. Do this, Lord, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray.